Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. When I was in college, one of the requirements is that we had to take an introduction to English class, and our professor decided that the only book that we're going to read were Shakespeare plays, because Shakespeare is the best writer ever. Now, that was a long semester, let me tell you. But one quote I remember from Shakespeare comes from Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, and it applies to us this morning. Juliet asks the famous question, what's in a name? She goes on to say, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And what Juliet is suggesting there is that what matters most is not the name that something has, but that thing's essence or nature. The name of a rose has no real impact on a rose's nature. Now, while that might be true when it comes to the names of roses, in the Bible we're told that names are extremely important. Because names tell us about the nature of a person or the nature and character of someone. And that's no more true than when it comes to the person of God. You see, God has given many names in Scripture, and each of them reveals something to us about who God is. And so this summer, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the different names of God in a series called Our God Is. And just as a reminder, we don't do series just for the sake of it. We have a goal, we have a purpose in mind, and we've shared this every week. The goal of this series, if you're following on your notes there, let's remind ourselves, is that we want to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. In other words, we want to know God better. But we don't want to just know about him. We want to know what these names have to do with how he wants to relate to us and how we can relate to him. And so the next name that I have the privilege of looking at with you this morning comes in one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. Even people who don't go to church know the story of David and Goliath. In fact, this story has become a part of our common vocabulary in the United States. It's still used today to describe a sports game between a heavy underdog and a huge favorite. Kind of like the Cubs and the Cardinals with everything being reversed now. Cubs are now the Goliath. But maybe our familiarity with this story has led us to miss what an incredible story it is and really, more importantly, what we can learn about who our God is. So I'm going to invite you to do what we do each week here at Cherry Hills, which is to take a Bible, hopefully your Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, we have some available for you in the seats underneath you there. And I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Bible. If you're still getting used to where things are, 1 Samuel is probably about a quarter of the way through the Old Testament there. Hopefully you can find chapter 17. And if you are using one of those black Bibles, you can find this on page 227 there. You're going to want to have this in front of you. It's a longer story, but it's really worth going through the whole thing. Here's how I'm going to do it, however. I'm going to break it up into three sections. So we'll read some, we'll stop, we'll read some, we'll stop. And what we're going to talk about this morning is experiencing giants in our lives, facing giants in our lives, and fighting giants in our lives. So that's where we're headed. We're going to start right in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17. Before we do that, though, let's bow our heads once again and ask the Lord who gave us his word to reveal himself to us this morning. Lord, our desire is not just to learn some information today. It's to be transformed more into the likeness of your son. And your word can do that. 
And so we pray as we give ourselves to your word that it would be sharper than any two-edged sword. That we would open our eyes and our hearts to what you want to reveal to us about who you are so we can better relate to you and to the world you've placed us in. We pray this for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and their Israelites another with the valley between them. Now, I've actually been there to the valley of Elah. Literally, there is a hill over here and a hill over here and the valley's in between. So this is real stuff we're talking about here. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. We're talking huge. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now read verse 11, which I have on your notes out loud with me. It says... On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now let's just pause here for a moment because there's some really important things going on that we have to understand to get the full impact of this story. First of all, we have to understand that this takes place in the dawn of what's called the Iron Age. Can you remember back to elementary school when you learned about the different ages of human history? Well, for thousands of years, the human beings lived in what was known as the Bronze Age. So they had bronze, and they would usually fight with wooden sticks, and both armies had the same weapons. But right around the end of the Bronze Age, somebody came up with the idea of iron. And as you can imagine, those who had iron had a huge advantage over those who didn't have iron. Now, you may be wondering, why is he sharing this? Well, because just four chapters earlier, in 1 Samuel 13, this is what we read. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. Do you see that? Who has a monopoly on the iron at this stage in history here? The Philistines. So not only do they have a huge advantage when it comes to technology, they also have a giant who fights on their behalf. Speaking of Goliath here, Goliath is more than just big. He hailed from a group of people who traced their roots from beyond this planet. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Genesis chapter 6 where we're told that there were some angels who rebelled against God and they came down and they married women and they had children with those women. These people were called Nephilim. They were a mixed race and they were like giants in the land. And Goliath can trace his lineage all the way back to this species of giants. Several years ago, my son Will would have one of his best friends over to our house often, and I could always tell this boy was always intimidated by me. 
He would always look at me like scare, scary guy, tall guy. And sure enough, I heard from his mom that he came home after one of those visits and said to her, Mom, Steve is a real giant. <laughs> now, I just want to say I may be tall, but I pale in comparison to Goliath here. Even scarier, Goliath is challenging the Israelites to what was known as representative combat in these days. In other words, you send your best warrior, we'll send our best warrior. Whoever wins, their army wins. Now, key question. Who should have been the warrior who accepted Goliath's challenge in this story? Saul. King Saul. We know from earlier in 1 Samuel, not only is Saul the king, not only is one of two people, we just saw it, who has a sword in all of Israel and armor, not only does he stand a head taller than any other Israelite, Saul most importantly should have known that he was appointed and anointed for this very task. God had called him to be king over his covenant people. And so what should have been Saul's response when this giant crests the hill every day, issuing this decree? Saul should have been saying, let me at him. I can't lose. God has promised his people this land. But that is not Saul's response. As we see, Saul, along with everyone else, is paralyzed by fear. Now, let's just stop here for a minute because I want to say something to you that this relates to every single one of us in this room who call ourselves a Christian. We can learn something here. And here's what we learn if you're following there on your notes. We will all experience giants in our lives. Now, I know that sounds a little campy, so let me just explain. A giant is not just any old problem that we have. Some people have taken this text and said, oh, That's a giant that I just got to step out in faith with. No, 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 no. Giants mean something very specific in this text. And if you're following on your notes, here's how I will define a giant. A giant is anything that challenges our faith. That's a giant. That's a Goliath. Notice again what it says in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's a Goliath problem where our very identity and our very confidence in God is being shaken. Friends, a giant is when somebody is in your face about your faith. A a giant is when you're paying the price for your allegiance to Jesus Christ. A giant is when you're afraid to move forward, even though you know God is calling you to that. A giant is when you question your identity. A giant is when you question God's ability to deliver you. Have you ever faced a giant like this? Where fear grips your heart to such a degree that it prevents you from moving forward in faith. Maybe you've experienced this in your job. Maybe you've experienced it at home. Maybe you've experienced it at school. Maybe you've experienced with a recent health challenge where you're asking the question, I'm sure the Israelites are asking at this moment, where is God in this situation? Why is this happening to me? These kinds of giants that come up in our lives, they're just relentless, aren't they? It doesn't tell us yet. It'll tell us in a minute. Goliath doesn't just show up one time. Every morning, every evening, he walks the same hill and he issues the same challenge for 40 days. Listen to how Chuck Swindoll describes this. He says, how applicable to any giant we encounter. That's the way with the giants of fear and worry, for example, 
They don't just come once. They come morning and evening, day after day, relentlessly trying to intimidate us. They come in the form of a person or a pressure or a worry, some fear that hammers on your heart every morning and night, day in and day out, yelling across the ravine in your own personal valley. Few things are more persistent and intimidating than our fears and our worries. Have you faced a giant like that? If you haven't yet and you're wholeheartedly following after Christ, you will. Giants are a reality of faith in Christ. You will have giants because you have an enemy. An enemy who wants nothing more than to paralyze you in fear and worry, to keep you from stepping forward in faith. Now, I'm not one of these doom and gloom people, but I just want to say to you as my Christian brothers and sisters As we look around at our society, as we look around at our culture and where things are going, more and more giants are coming. More and more challenges to our faith are going to be coming. And so the question is, what do we do? How do we face the giants? How do we stand firm as they continue to come our way? Well, that's what I want to talk about next with you. How do we actually face these giants that are going after our faith? Let's look at verse 12 and following. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, here it is, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Not a bad day in the office, is it? Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now read the rest of verse 26 out loud on your notes there. It says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? After an encounter with his older brother, who doesn't like David asking all these questions, we pick it up in verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. So again, we'll pause here. Do you notice the difference? between how the men of Israel, including Saul, react to facing this giant and how David reacts. Every day, this giant comes out and he yells the same thing. And every day, the Israelites run back to their tents in great fear. But then David shows up, just an ordinary day in his life, running some errands for his father. And he happens to show up at the same time when Goliath issues his challenge. And I just love to picture this scene. Here's David sitting there on this hill, the Philistines on this other hill, and all the soldiers are cowering in fear, running back to their tents. And he's standing there going, what are you guys all afraid of? What are you so afraid of? We are the covenant people of God. And this guy is defying our God. Notice David's question again in verse 26 because it's the key to understanding how David could face this giant and it's key for us too. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living of God? You see, David doesn't see a giant like the other soldiers do. David sees an uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, someone who is not in a covenant relationship with the living God. The soldiers keep saying that Goliath comes out to defy Israel. Notice what David said. He says he comes out to defy the armies of the living God. By the way, that's the first mention of God in this whole story. How sad. The soldiers refer to Goliath's potential victor as the man who kills him. David refers to him, I love this, as the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Their attitude throughout facing this giant is fear. David's attitude is faith. How dare a worshiper of dead idols have the audacity to challenge the armies of the living God? And so what do we learn about facing giants in our lives from David here? I think we learn two extremely important things. First, number one, if you're on your notes, we must face our giants with the right perspective. We must face our giants with the right perspective Keep in mind that perspective, when I say that, it's not just what you see. If you're on your notes there again, perspective is how you view what you see. Perspective is how you view what you see. The Israelites saw the same giant David saw. They just didn't see him the same way. The Israelites looked at his size and his strength and his armor. David saw one thing, the fact that he had been not marked as one of God's covenant people. He was uncircumcised. Circumcision just meant that you belong to the family of God. God's protective covering was over you. The power of God's name, therefore, was not on this giant, no matter how big he was. And so what's the difference between David and the Israelites? Again, if you're on your notes, David knew his identity as one of God's chosen people. The Israelites forgot who they were. 
More importantly, they forgot whose they were. And I'll just say today, so many of us cower in the shadow of a giant for the same reason. We forget our identity. And instead, we keep our perspective on the giant instead of the God who is behind the giant. The men saw Goliath. David saw God. Those are two radically different things, aren't they? As Paul wrote, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's perspective. In one of the greatest movie scenes of all time, I will go to my grave believing this, Hoosiers. When this small Indiana basketball team makes the state championship, they walk into this gigantic gym and they realize their perspective is we're about to play a game against the best team in the state in this gigantic stadium. And you can tell they're paralyzed by fear. And the coach realizes this and he does something brilliant. He takes a tape measure and he measures the distance from the basket down to the floor. And lo and behold, it's the same as it is in the gym back home. And they start to realize, oh, okay, we can do this. You see, perspective is everything. It's how we view what we see. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus about this very thing. In Ephesians 1, he says these words, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Not physical circumcision anymore, but with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What should be our perspective when a giant comes into our life? Our perspective should be, this is who I am in Jesus Christ now. And this is whose I am in Jesus Christ now. I have been sealed with the very Holy Spirit of God, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this giant in my life that he should defy the armies of the living God. What do you see when you face your giants? Do you see the giant? Or do you see the God who has covered you with his seal and his promise? That really leads to the second thing we learn from David about facing giants, which is we can face giants by believing God has equipped us with all we need for victory. God has equipped us with all we need for victory. Not only has he given you a new identity, Not only has he promised to cover you, he's sealed that in his spirit, but he gives you all you need to stand firm in your faith. Where am I getting this? Well, I love in this story how David refuses to put on Saul's armor. Did you notice that? Don't you think it would have been tempting to walk out there with all this armor, knowing that you're about to face this giant who is full to the tilt with weapons and armor? But David says no. I'm going to fight the battle God has put before me with the tools that God has given me. He believed that God had equipped him for this very moment. It's why he tells Saul about his encounter with the lion and the bear. Listen, I've faced this stuff before. And what God has given me in the past has always proved to be enough. Friends, it's the same for us. You can't expect to win the giants in your life with someone else's armor. But we try it all the time. What does so-and-so think? What would so-and-so do in this situation? I have to read this. I have to go do this. I have to do that. And God says, wait a minute. I've given you everything you need to bring you to the destiny that I have for you. Will you trust me? Will you trust that I've fully equipped you for the battle that you are about to face? Friend, if you're on your notes here, don't fall in the trap of wearing Saul's armor. Instead, believe God has given you a calling, purpose, and special gifting. 
He's given you a calling, purpose, and special gifting. I'll just share with you personally, this is something I've had to learn in my life. One of the giants that I face is the fear of I'm not going to be a good enough pastor. I'm not going to be good enough in this role. I think maybe I'm too introverted for this whole pastor thing. I need to be more like so-and-so. Or I don't have this gift, or I don't have this. And what God has been teaching me through his word and through others in the church is like, God has called you and equipped you exactly how he wants you to be. Now step into that. Believe that. Walk out in faith, and I will just say to all of you, he has given you exactly what you need. You just need to trust him. You need to trust the tools and the gifting and the calling and the purpose and the destiny that he's given you and step out in faith. David knows that this is a battle God wants him to fight. Therefore, God has given him everything he needs for victory. Do you believe that, Christian? As you face the giant in your life right now, do you believe he has equipped you fully for what you need for victory? That leads us to the best part of this story, which is fighting the giant like a movie. Everything is leading up to this point. Look at verse 40. Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Look at, there it is. David trusted in the tools that God had given him. Do you remember what the Israelites did each day when Goliath came to taunt them? They retreated in fear. They went on the defense. David... He goes on the offense. A child of the king knows that we can conquer our giants because we know we have the right perspective and we have the right tools. We have been fully equipped for this moment. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath takes one look at David and thinks the whole thing is a joke, not even worth his time. In response, David gives the most epic battle speech ever. Who cares what Mel Gibson's come up with in the past? And this is where we're introduced to this uniquely powerful name of God. Let's read verse 45 out loud together on our notes there. He says, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David doesn't come with the latest technology or the best weapons. He doesn't even tell him how he's going to kill him. If you're on your notes, David fights in the name of the Lord. And what name does David choose in this moment? It is the name Yahweh to Saba. You can see how to spell it up on the screen there. Yahweh to Saba. It literally means the Lord of hosts or the Lord of angel armies. And as David is using it, he's referring to the Lord, our warrior. If you're on your notes still. Jehovah to Saba means the Lord, our warrior. Why would David choose this name? Because he knows that God's resources are unlimited when it comes to the battles he's been asking us to fight. David recognizes God's supremacy and power in the situation, and so he gives the battle back to God. Doesn't mean David sat down and did nothing, does it? David did all that he could. He trusted his perspective. 
He trusted his covering. He trusted that God had equipped him for this very moment. And yet he still places all of it into the Lord's hand. The Lord who is his warrior. Listen to his confidence in Jehovah Tassaba in verse 46 and following. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Yeah. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. What does David know that the Israelites don't when it comes to fighting giants? He knows that the battle is not ours to begin with. The battle belongs to the Lord. Because the Lord is a God who fights for his people. When we face giants in our lives, here's what the enemy wants us to think. You're on your own. God has abandoned you. He's left you. And so we try to come up with little solutions and plans and strategies. But I just want to say to you, those won't succeed. You want to know why? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 6, 12. And no offense, none of us in this room are smart enough, clever enough, or strong enough to beat an enemy from another realm. But Jehovah Tassaba is. And his desire is to be the God who fights for his people. There's no question that many of the struggles and problems you face in life are simply the fact that we live in a fallen world. But there are also giants every once in a while that are going to show up that shake our faith. And the reason for that is, is we have an enemy whose name is Satan. And he wants to keep you from reaching the place that God has destined for you to go. And Satan has your game film, trust me. He knows what your weaknesses are. He's studied you. He knows what to place before your path in order to get you to be paralyzed by fear. He knows that you can be distracted by good things instead of being focused on the best things. If you're on your notes, none of us can fight giants like that on our own. We need Jehovah to Saba for those battles. Again, it doesn't mean we don't do anything. Here's one of the great lessons of this story, this famous story, right? It isn't until David steps out in faith and courage that Jehovah Tassaba begins to fight on his behalf. The same is true for us. Fighting your giant is going to take stepping out in faith and courage, but make no mistake, the battle is the Lord's. Look at verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Can't you just picture it in a movie? It's in slow motion right now. The music is building. When I get to heaven, this is the first DVD I'm pulling off the shelf right here. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Now notice these next words. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down in the ground. That's the part of the DVD where you rewind it like three times. Uh, don't leave me up here, man. In Rocky Four, I must have watched Rocky knocking out Drago like 12 times in a row. Now, here's what I want you to notice, though, about verse 49. God did it. Jehovah Tassaba did it. You're saying, what did God do? The language there, why it was pointed out, suggests that God is the one who crushes Goliath's skull. Yes, David used the tools that he had been equipped with. Yes, he had a great shot. 
but the stone sank into his forehead and God brought him down to the ground. Yes, David played a part, but we have to understand this truth if you're on your notes when it comes to fighting giants. God fights for us when we step out in faith and courage. God's deliverance picks up when our efforts leave off. Do you understand? It wasn't until the Israelites stepped into the Jordan River that the Jordan River ceased flowing. And in the same way, when it comes to the giants we have in life, oftentimes God will wait for us to step out in faith and courage, and then he will show up as Jehovah Tassaba, the Lord, our warrior. I just met with a young couple on Friday afternoon, and they were telling me about this step of faith that God was asking them to take. And let me just tell you, it's giant. And as much as I would love to tell them, well, God will provide everything you need before you take that step of faith, that's not how it works. They're going to have to take that step of faith, and then Jehovah Tassaba will come alongside of them. He will fight for them. They're already seeing that play out. God is providing in ways they could never have imagined. But it's because they had the faith and the courage to step out to begin with. Let's finish our story here. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword, just as he told him he would. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head, brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Some of the most incredible things God wants to do in your life will happen when you think you have nothing. Those are the odds Jehovah Tassaba loves. He loves when we are willing to step out with nothing more than faith and courage. Why? Because then we know without a doubt that the battle belongs to the Lord. Therefore, the glory belongs to the Lord. I learned this lesson my first time when I was 16 years old when God asked me to step out in a major way in faith. I didn't want to do it. I was paralyzed by fear. But eventually... Through the help of some other brothers and sisters, I did it. I took that step of faith, and I discovered what I hope you will discover as well when you face a giant. Our God is faithful. He is faithful to fight on behalf of his people. And so that next time that giant comes, I remember. He fought for me before. He will fight for me again. And that is what life is. It's one step of faith after the other. One step of faith. Friends, the beautiful thing about this story, it's a perfect example of how God operates still today. He's waiting for us to step out in faith and courage. All David had was a slingshot and a stone and courage against a giant wearing 200 pounds of armor. From our perspective, does this make any sense? But those are the odds that Jehovah to Saba loves. Friends, I'm going to leave you this morning as we close with the promise of the gospel because it's all over this text. On the cross of Jesus Christ, Jehovah to Saba won the ultimate battle against the ultimate giant. A giant even bigger than Goliath. A giant called sin. A giant called death. And because he won that battle, when we place our trust in what Christ has done, you are given a new identity. You become a part of the family of God and then you are sealed 
with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he then gives you every spiritual resource that you need to fight for your faith, to stand firm. He gives you his very self, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So I'll ask you this question and leave a little time for reflection this morning before we sing and declare God as our warrior. If you're on your notes, will I fight my giants with faith in the Lord, my warrior? I guarantee almost everyone in this room has a giant right now. And so we just want to spend some time reflecting. Again, we don't want information. We want transformation. What has God been saying to you in this story this morning? Are you experiencing a giant? What's your perspective about that giant? Are you seeing the giant? Are you seeing the God who has called you and sealed you in his spirit Are you looking for other people to solve it for you? Are you trusting that he has equipped you with everything you need to fight this giant? Friends, let's just spend some time in prayer right now. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ just means the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're facing a giant right now in your life, would you allow me to close by speaking some good news over you? Good news that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Goliath? No. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'd call those some big giants, wouldn't you? That is, it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now declare these words out loud with me. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.